Are y'all glad you're in church this morning? I see some of you that I met last week and you're back for the second time, so glad we didn't scare you away. Welcome back. We do not think it's an accident that you're here this morning, and uh, we're just delighted that you're here. So, um, theme. We're going to launch this series. It's called Theme, right? Look, look at somebody say, I see you. Tell somebody else, tell them God sees you. Like to get you engaged and talking a little bit. Why don't y'all stand up? <clears throat> um, I mean, that whole, hey, I see you, God sees you, like, it's all churchy and all. I'm going to make you uncomfortable now this morning. Uh, I'd like you to turn somewhere close by you and point at someone like we're partnering up here, okay? Some of you are freaking out, right? It's going to be okay. Uh, we're partnering up. Point at someone. You're partnering up. It can be the person right next to you. It can be a person behind an aisle. Everybody's going to need a partner. If you really, really don't want a partner, then you sit down. Um, but like everybody get a partner. You don't have to know them. You can know them. But everybody get a partner. Point at them. Get a partner. If you don't have a partner and you want one, raise your hand and somebody will find you. Like, if you don't have a partner yet, you're not going to want to miss out on this. So, the introvert sat down. I, I can't partner, Jay. I love you. I got to lead everybody else. Jay needs a partner. Who needs a partner? Jay wants a partner. All right. Okay. Give you part, uh, first of all, if you don't know each other, introduce yourselves real quick. Everybody know each other? Like, everybody got names? You need to know your partner's name. Okay. Give your partner a fist bump. There's a little bit of Simon says he here, okay, but you got to stay with me. Um, give your partner a high five. Compliment something about your partner. Wow, some of y'all are wordy. Tell your partner, I'm glad you're here. Come on, be genuine. Tell them I'm glad. Now, everything you just did, especially because you're still talking to your church people, like, that's the extent of some of your interactions with a lot of people on a Sunday morning. Right? What's up? Glad you're here. High five. Right? But I would dare say that most of you in that last 30 seconds, you didn't really feel seen in a deep way. Pick partner A and partner B. Partner A, partner, like, like who's A, who's B? Determine that right now. Okay. Turn to your partner, square your shoulders up so you're looking at your partner. You don't have to be super close, but turn at your partner right now. And I want you to go somewhere with me. And I want you to repeat some things after me to your partner. Partner A, you're talking to partner B. Partner B, don't be a schmuck and like make this silly, okay? Just take it. Smile. Listen, listen. This is gonna be a moment for some of you that you're not gonna soon forget. So partner A is talking to partner B. I want you to look them in the eye, call them by name, and tell them you're awesome. Call them by name. Tell them that they matter. Look them in the eye. Listen. 
Don't, don't look back up at me. Like, you can hear me. You don't need to look at me. Look at your partner. I didn't say to say anything. Quit your talking. Everybody look at your partner. Don't look up here. Look at your partner. If you're not having partnered up, observe what's happening in the room. Tell them God loves you. Tell your partner, mean it. Tell them you are a gift to this world. This is all A. A is doing all the talking. Tell them again, you are a gift to this world. Look them in the eye. Tell them God brought you here today so that I could remind you. Now mean this, mean it. You're valuable. Keep looking at your partner. Tell them you're valuable. Tell them you matter. Tell them you are special. Tell them you are loved. Tell them you matter. You are valuable to God. It's not an accident that you're here today. It's not an accident that I'm speaking to you. You matter. Now look, keep looking at your partner. Look him in the eye. Just pause for a moment. Smile at your partner. If some of you can stop being silly, you might get more out of this exercise. I know it's hard for some of you. Look your partner in the eye. Look him in the eye. Don't look at me. Tell him you matter. Tell them you're valuable. Keep looking at them. Here we go. No more giggling. Here we go. Tell them God loves you. We're going to slow the pace down. We're going to say something meaningful. Tell them he has a purpose and a plan for you. They, somebody in here needs to hear this. Tell them your past does not define you. Hear this. Tell this person, because some of the people you're getting ready to say this to, they've believed a lie for most of their lives, maybe all their lives. Tell them, you are not broken. You are not a failure. No matter what it feels like, You're never alone. You are not forgotten. Listen, keep looking at your partner. There's some people in here, they feel like they've been forgotten and nobody cares and nobody's looking at them. Look at your partner and tell them you are not forgotten. You are loved. You matter. Believe this for your partner. Say, you matter more than you will ever know. Tell them it's going to be okay. Tell them it will be okay. Tell them I see you. I see you. Thank you for being you.
Look at this person and say, thank you for being you. Tell them, you are loved. Keep looking at your partner. Now, if you thought this was awkward, I'm going to ask you to do something difficult. And I want you, for the next 30 seconds, to look your partner in the eye and not say a word. Look your partner in the eye. You don't need to say anything. It's going to be awkward. But look at them and love them. See the value in them. Let them feel that you see them as valuable. Have faith that they're going to fulfill their purpose as you're looking at them. Believe in them like they've never been believed in in this moment. Give them the gift, the affirmation of you looking them in the eye. How are you feeling right now? Partner B, how are you feeling right now? Partner B, go ahead and take a moment. And like some of you, you couldn't stop giggling the whole time. I get it. But if partner B, if, if you felt something in this experience, express your gratitude to partner A. Like, just talk to him for a second. Okay, you can sit down. So, listen. How many of you right now, you're like, that was the most awkward thing I've ever done in a, like not even in church, just like ever. Okay, here's what I want you to realize. I, I think Bethel, I mean, I'm biased, but I think we're above average in when people come here, we love people well. And they feel that, that warm embrace. They feel accepted. How many, when you came here, you felt loved and accepted? Yeah. So, but even with that being the case, do you realize that some of the people that you just spoke to that have been coming here for months or even years that's the most they've ever felt seen. There's some in this little exercise that they have not had someone look them in the eye for that long. Maybe ever. But many for years. See, if we're going to see people, we got to slow down. We've got to be willing to take the time We've got to be willing to be, embrace some awkwardness. How many of you, like, you were being talked to during that exercise, and that, what just experienced here, was a significant moment. Like, you felt some, don't, don't lie to me, but how many of you, that was a pretty significant moment? 
Okay, keep your hands up if you don't mind. Look around. My pastor says this all the time for, for decades. You don't know what it costs to be someone else. You don't know what other people are going through. You don't know that some of you just saved someone from suicide. Some of you spoke life to an individual today that they've never heard that many words of love and affirmation their entire life. And they need you to not just do it here. The people in your life need you to show up. Can you imagine what it would be like to have that moment with Jesus himself speaking into you? Wow. Like what if actually instead of your dad, what if it was Jesus himself looking you in the eye and saying, Ashley, you matter. You're valuable. You're loved. You're special. And yet, isn't that kind of what just happened? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living on the inside of me. God used some of you partner A's to be his voice today. You want people to experience God? Tell them what he's going to say about them. Speak life. Stand in the gap. Because we've got a whole lot of people that feel completely unseen. Ignored. Not valuable. And God's given us the opportunity and the responsibility to step in and be his voice. To speak life. See, this series, we're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about how God loves us unconditionally. That no matter how bad it gets, you can wait on him and he ain't ever going to let you down. There might be some tears, there might be some pain, there might be some agony, misery on the inside, but if you'll keep your eyes on him, he has not forgotten you. But the reason we're having this conversation into this series, the reason it's so important is because this pandemic thing was a tactic of the enemy to isolate and destroy people. Not just believers, just people in general. And most of you know someone who currently is overwhelmed by anxiety, by depression. Many of you probably know someone that committed suicide through this season. And church, we we got the answer. Now, I'm going to talk in a minute about like, It's not like these little pat answers. But the love of God never fails. This was uh, like God filled me for this message, and I had such a burden, but I told Parker beforehand, 
I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. This is, we're off notes at this point. So Psalm 33, and Aletha kind of confirmed it. No king is saved, verse 16. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. On those whose hope is in his unfailing love. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait. How should we wait? We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Could everybody in the room just raise your hand for a moment? Let me just get this out of the way. Look around at everybody raising their hand. These are all the people who have struggled with mental health in the last two years. Now, some of you don't like that name. I'm, I'm, okay, you can put your hands down. But listen, I don't care what you call it, you've struggled on the inside. There's been isolation. There's been loneliness. There's been pain. There's been anxiety. There's been stress. There's been moments where you felt forgotten. Many of you, it's gone in depression and panic attacks and like... I don't care what you call it, angry. Some of you, your marriage is hanging on by a thread. I don't care what you call it, but we've all struggled on the inside. Everybody said the inside. And we've got to realize that, okay, let me, let me tell you what the church has typically done with, uh, with mental health. Hold on, don't get nervous. I've done this before. Here you go. First, before I give you this, mental health. Here's a little definition. Mentalhealth.gov. Aren't you glad the government's not your source of truth? But this is a helpful definition. We'll get to the good stuff. Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also determines how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. Mental health is important at every stage of life, from childhood and adolescence all the way through adulthood. Now, here's what I'm going to say. The church has historically not done well when it comes to mental health. In talking about it, in addressing it in helpful ways, the church has, a, the church has done a lot of stupid things. And I'm, if you, you were the recipient of that, I'm sorry. Because here's what the church has typically done. We judge people with mental health issues. We say they must be broken if they're depressed. Good Christians don't have suicidal thoughts. Good people don't struggle with panic attacks. Number two, we over-spiritualize it. Oh, it makes me want to smack somebody. Stay saved. We say things like, if you deal with anxiety, you must not be praying enough. 
We say you just need more faith. You need to pray more. You need to sin less. Be more holy. Love God more. How many of yourself, because this is a transparent community where we all belong, how many of you been praying your guts out in praising Jesus and you still been dealing with stuff on the inside? Just say yes. And these are some cool people, some holy people, some loving God people. Listen, it's not always, now, is it good to pray more, yes or no? Yeah. But that's not always going to be the fix that people make it out to be. We refuse, number three, to admit we need help. Oh, I don't need counseling. Christians shouldn't need medication. I'm trusting Jesus for my healing. It's a lack of faith to ask for help. And then finally, we give pat answers that avoid the messiness of mental health. Pray more, join a small group, repent, read your Bible more, make sure you get into church. Maybe, rare occasion, you might say, well, maybe you should get a therapist. And the reason we do that is because we feel uncomfortable with trying to help them ourselves. In 25 years of ministry and Gosh, guys, it doesn't matter what world you're in, coaching and serving business people all over the country. Like, I've seen every single one of those, and I've experienced half of them firsthand. How many of you have experienced most of those firsthand in the church? It's not enough. And we can do better. We've got more power to deal with these challenges than, than we realize. And each of you, so this series, what we're going to do, we're going to every week address like two sides of it. One, what God has done for you and for me. You ain't alone. You're loved. But then on the other side, because there's, you need to bring people that need to find hope and healing. Bring them. Bring yourself, since we just established all of you need this message, and myself included, okay? But then the other side is, we're also going to give you practical tools and frames so that you don't feel helpless when your loved one has lost the light in their eyes, when they've lost their hope. And that's just as important because that's what healing is when we take what God has done on the inside of us and we give it away to someone else. So I think it's important for us to realize that this whole idea of seeing, this isn't a neat little sermon series. The world's desperate to be seen. And not to be seen through eyes of judgment and condemnation and shame, but eyes of love. Unconditional love and acceptance. I'm curious, from the little exercise we did there, is there anybody that was on the receiving end that you'd be willing just to briefly, you can just tell me, you don't have to tell everybody else, and just ignore everybody else. Would you be willing to tell me what you experienced on the receiving end? This might be a little awkward. You got to love it when the first time guests. Who was invited by Miss Linda. 
Remind me of your name? Barbara. Barbara. So, Barbara, what did you experience there? I was under a therapist, and my daughter said we need to go see somebody. Even though we're both Christians, we both went to Bible school, we both have experience, and it was just completely lost over a year ago. And it brought me to the point of taking drugs, mm -hmm. which wanted me to commit suicide, and I saw hallucinations. And Well, it's all over now, you know, because I put that into perspective and said, wait a minute. You know, this this is not right. Wow. And I've been looking for a church for a very long time since I moved to Kentucky. And I love what I saw so far today. This is exactly what I need. I want to be able to raise my hands. I want to be able to praise God. I want to be able to dance in the aisle if I want to out of happiness. Not, I don't want lies. I don't want pretense. Mm. So it was the most confusing time of my life back then. But now, you know, it's all coming to fruition where I can move forward now. And what she said and she said to me was the most awesome thing that you could have done because I need all of that right wow. now. Wow. Everybody say, I see you, Barbara. Say, I love you, Barbara. When I invited her, she asked me, she said, well, can I raise my hands? And I said, uh-huh. She said, can I play my tambourine? So I didn't know what she was going to be when she got here. Wow. Anyone else? Maybe one more? Who said? Oh, okay. You're in the, in the shadows there. Who was your partner? You had two overachiever. Go ahead and stand up here with me. So what did you experience there? Um, that I was loved and not forgotten. And I was able to be transparent and receive that and give it. Wow. Thank you. I'll never forget, and I'll try not to share his story, but Pastor Marion, he shared this publicly many times, but we just moved into this building and numbers were up. We're like, we were like, I don't know, 800, 1,000 people attending. We were like big attendance, big church. And I remember he talks about hitting the wall and he walked back in down that hallway into his office and he was crying and he was having a conversation with God because he said, I, I don't want to build a church that my sons don't want to attend. By the way, that was one of his sons up there exhorting Parker, our youth pastor. And the other thing he said was the thing that really hit him at that time was people would come in and be one thing in church. And he was like, that, that, that don't work. We're, we're not going to wear masks in the church that I'm building. And so there was a shift in our culture of authenticity and transparency and just being honest and real um, and that it's okay. In fact, I'm going to give you three truths. Here's the first one. It's okay to not be okay. Three truths about mental health from a biblical perspective. It's okay. Look at somebody and tell them. Tell them it's okay to not be okay. Now, I am a, uh, what do I got? 
That's a good idea. I'll turn that back on. Thank you. Testing one, two. Okay. Everybody say, it's okay to not be okay. And um, that hasn't been the reality. How many have been in a church or in a Christian environment where that was the opposite of what you felt? If you're here at Bethel, we all jacked up. Did you see everybody raising their hands early? They got mental health issues? Jeez, the whole stinking room. We all got issues. It is okay to not be okay. Now, do I believe that God can heal, restore, strengthen, establish 100% completely? Do we believe it? Yes or yes? But we've heard that message. We believe it. It's true. But sometimes you got to remind people that that is not always going to be the reality of that we live in. Reminded of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. when they're, Everybody knows them, right? Fiery furnace dudes. And when the king was getting ready to throw them in the fiery furnace, they looked at the king and they said, the God we serve is able. Everybody say, he's able. It's a little shout out for you, Ray, right there. He's able. I feel like I got to bring you up here and sing it. Come on. I don't even do that Pentecostal thing, but I just felt it. Okay. He's able. The God we serve is able to save us from your hand, to rescue us from the fiery furnace. But here, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down and worship. He's able. But some of you just need to hear today, even if he doesn't, heal, restore, take away the panic attack, the depression, the OCD, even if it doesn't go away 100%, he's still God. He's never let anybody down, not once. He's able. You know, if you read the Bible, everybody know King David, right? He was a man after God's own heart. How many want to be a person after God's own heart? Listen to what he wrote in Psalm 38. I'm going to skip through some verses here, but starting in verse 8. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. And I dare say that a lot of Christians have responded that way to friends and family who are going through struggles when it comes to mental health. We need to flip that, church. We need to start showing up. Everybody say, I will show up. David didn't have that, and so he goes on. He says, I'm like the deaf who cannot hear, like the mute who cannot speak. I have become like one who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. I got no words. I got nothing to say. I ain't got no faith words. I got got no affirmations. I don't have a, it's going to be okay. I've got no words. I'm speechless. For I'm about to fall 
and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I'm troubled by my sin. This is after he slept with Bathsheba and he's repented for his sin and he's crying out to God. He's repented and his pain is still ever with him. His repentance didn't fix it all right away. And some of you, you feel like the preachers, teachers, people, church, they've overpromised and underdelivered. Because they've said, if you just pray more and read your Bible more, everything's going to be okay. You're going to be all peaceful. They totally didn't do that in church, but anyways. And you're like, I did what they said to do, God, and it's not all better. Verse 21, Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly to me, my Lord and my Savior. Maybe instead of pretending that we don't struggle or judging people who have the guts to admit they're struggling, Maybe instead we could normalize a conversation around mental health, around struggle, around depression, anxiety. I don't care what it is, anger, isolation, depression. Maybe we could just make it okay to not be okay. Because apparently God was okay with that. I mean, this is just one little song from David. But you read through the songs, like, I don't know if anybody's done it, but maybe I should have Googled this. What psychological disorders did David have? Because I'm sure some psychologist has read through the Psalms and like, oh, he's presenting symptoms there, presenting symptoms there. My boy was jacked up. And he's so honest and raw and transparent and unfiltered that it makes some Christians a little uncomfortable. In fact, some of you, I'm reading that right now, and they're like, when are you going to get to the Jesus part? Like, what do we do with my pain is ever with me? My heart is in anguish. I'm serving God. I love God. But the light is gone from my eyes because I'm empty, hopeless. Listen, guys, God has a 100% track record of coming through. In fact, let's go to truth number two. Truth number two, love wins. I love the word of God. I love the truth. Look at somebody and say, love wins. Look at your partner that you had. Because now you've had, like, hey, partner B, you talk to partner A. Tell partner A, love wins. Tell him it's going to be okay. See, here's what I think a bunch of Christians have never stopped to consider. David was a man... After God's own heart. Perhaps part of what made him a man after God's own heart is that he was courageous enough to be honest about what was going on in his heart. We could just stop right there. You want to be a man or woman after God's own heart? Be like David and get honest. Stop 
putting up a face and smiling and saying, I'm okay and I'm good and I'm blessed and highly favored. I mean, you understand I'm preaching a message to a specific topic. Should you say I'm blessed and highly favored and have great declarations over your life? Of course you should. But if you're lying through your teeth all the time and you're acting like you don't need any help and you got this covered and God's going to take care of you, if you never admit what's going on, you might want to take a page from David's book and realize that it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to talk about it. Because the love of God wins. As long as something is denied, it cannot be healed. Learned that line from my friend David Hager. He also taught me this one. The quickest way to change is to face reality. And some of you, see, there's a, there's a principle. It's called the Stockdale Paradox. And the Stockdale Paradox was created by a prisoner of war. can't remember what war he was in, but a general or an admiral, Stockdale. And the Stockdale Paradox says this. You can have unwavering faith that everything's going to be okay, that you're going to get through to the other side. Unwavering faith that God's going to come through for you, that he will save, heal, and deliver. But at the same time, you can have the courage to face the stark reality of what you're in. See, for too long, the church has thought to face the reality and to admit I'm depressed or I'm having anxiety or I've got anger issues or I have a bunch of issues because I was abandoned or abused. A lot of you have been told you can't talk about that because that lessens your faith. And I'm here to tell you that talking about that, admitting that, getting help to navigate through that, you can have unwavering faith. Everybody say, he's able. able. And you can still have some real gut-wrenching conversations to face reality so that God can heal the deepest parts of your heart. Not only can you, but you need to. You have to. Because as long as, you, as long as you're denying and acting like it's not there, God's not able to do his best work in you. Everybody says, Elva wins. Romans 5, 1 through 8. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take you. Romans 5, 1 through 8. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace. Everybody say peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of our God. Okay, just this is Paul, the Apostle Paul writing this. Is he talking to some believers right there, yes or no? Yeah, they're saved, they got hope, they got uh, peace, they've got Jesus Christ, they're standing in the hope. So he's talking to believers. Continuing the next verse. Not only so, but we also, at the same time, as everything I just read, we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint or put us to shame. Because why? God! Because why? Because God's love! God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, 
at just the right time. See, some of you are like, man, he ain't done it yet. I've been praying. I've been crying. I've been quoting the scripture. And he ain't done it yet. Listen, at just the right time. At just the right time. Look at your partner, tell him, at just the right time. When we were still, the verse, when we were still powerless. Here's what I'm learning more and more the older I get. Like, I'm, a, I'm the whole, take back your power, God, right? Take back your power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living on the inside of me. But at the end of the day, that power I'm taking back, it's only his. I'm activating the power of God on the inside of me. The older I get, the more I realize I can't control squats. I mean, I can control my decisions and what I do, and i got to take personal responsibility so I can walk in the blessing of God, that he's not just going to throw it out of heaven. But I'm powerless if not for him, if not for his grace, if not for his mercy. i got to rely on his grace and his love and mercy like nothing else. And so if you feel powerless, his power is enough. Look at your partner. Tell him it's enough. When we were still powerless, Christ died for us. And then skip down. It says, but, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God's love is bigger than any suffering or struggle we're going through. Amen? I'm not going to give you a pat answer. Pray more. Get in church, join a small group. Hey, guess what? All those things, good idea. You should do that. But I'm not going to tell you that's going to fix everything. But I am going to tell you his love is greater than any struggle you're going through. Whether that's mental health or anything else, his love is greater than any struggle. And that love, before you were saved, while you were still a sinner, that love was working on your behalf. After you were saved, guess what? Still the same love. It's still enough. It's still working on your behalf. And see, most of us, when we're in circumstances, when we're in struggle, we're praying, God, make it stop. God, take it away. Ouch. Some of you aren't praying that for you. You're praying that for someone else. God, take it off of them. Give them freedom. And the the truth is the same. God is more concerned about what he's doing in you or doing in them. See, struggle is where we come to find hope. And hope does not disappoint. See, some of you have been acting powerful like you can handle it all and you need to stop that. I mean, it ain't working anyways. You might as well be honest and admit you can't handle this. Man, when... Katie and I, we, we went through this time, and Katie affectionately calls it my dark time. Most of you heard me talk about this. Last about two and a half, three years. And I didn't have the language then to say I was struggling with my mental health. But it didn't matter because I wouldn't have admitted it if I did. And I uh, can't remember, I'm bad at time stamping, but then there was the time when we were struggling in our marriage and tension and anger unresolved issues, lack of trust. and Katie kept telling me, we need to do counseling. We need to do counseling. And I was, literally, guys, I was like, let's pray about it. Let's do a couple's devotional. I mean, I'm sure there's a couple's devotional out there that saves some marriages, but really? 
Let's pray about it. You work on you, I'll work on me. I was in complete denial. And as long as it was denied, it couldn't be healed. And then two and a half years into it, because I didn't address it, and we suffered through a lot of pain, longer than it ever had to be, she looked at me, she said, in one particular tense moment, I don't think I want to be married to you anymore. I said, let's do counseling. I'm you know, smart and all. And some of you, you've been in denial for so long, you've refused to ask for help, but you, you need to reach out. It's okay to not be okay. Tell somebody, tell them it's okay to not be okay. So rather than saying, God, take it away, rather than saying, God, fix it, maybe we could pray, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? How do I need to trust you more through this? How can I rely on you instead of relying on a fix? 1 Peter 5.10, in his kindness, you could say his love, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, I'm sorry to break it to you, but if you don't like suffering, it's all through the Bible. I know we're all Pentecostal and believe the word and God wants to bless and prosper you. I believe all that. I really, really do. But you're still going to suffer. Because we live in a fallen world and sin entered this world. And until we get to heaven and and we're glorified with him, all the issues are not going to go away. So you may have health issues. You may have mental health issues. You may have, I don't care what it is, you're going to have issues. But what we're talking about here is his love never fails. His love wins. Everybody say, love wins. He says, so after you've suffered a little while, here's the other side, he will, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. No struggle, mental health or otherwise, is bigger than the God you serve. Let me give you one more verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. So Paul, most of you maybe probably have context, he had this thorn in his flesh, this thing that came to buffet or hinder him. That's what he's talking about in these verses. And Paul kept saying, God, take it away. How many prayed that prayer? Take it away. And God's response, instead of taking it away, was this. My grace is sufficient in you. For my power is made perfect in Weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, in difficulties. Like if you didn't hit it in the first part of the list, in all difficulties, right? For when I am weak, then I am strong. All you people that raised your hand earlier, that was the whole room. I know you got weakness. I do too. But that weakness does not reflect the power of God in my life. For in my weakness, then I made what? Strong. Strong. Look at your partner and tell them, you're strong. Tell them, listen, say this one. They need to hear this. You are stronger than you know. 
Because sometimes we forget the God that's on the inside of us. And we just need to remember. It does not matter what your circumstances are. His love still wins. Doesn't matter if he takes it away or if he comforts you in it. Because that's what, like, Jesus, God, God answered Paul's prayer, just not the way he wanted him to. <laughs> Who's been there? Rather than taking it away, he showed him the power that he had to endure. And Paul, what did he do as a result? He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So if the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that we live by, and the guy that God himself called a man after his own heart, if they're struggling, is it okay for us to struggle? But what wins at the end of the day? Love. So this, this is no pat answer. Listen, you got to work to process. You might need counseling. You might need therapy. Medication might need to be an option for you. You need support groups. You need connection. You need to be in a connect group, an edge group. You need to be in church every Sunday morning. You need to pray. You need to worship. You need to read your Bible. But at the end of the day, I don't put my hope and trust in anything but him. Him alone. Can he use all those things? You better believe it. And has he used those things for everybody in this room? Who, has he used some of those things, right? So do the things, do the work, but trust in him. Because love wins. Last truth I just want to drop here and, and we'll close it up. You're a healer. Everybody say, I am a healer. Say, I am a healer. You have power to bring healing into someone else's life. In fact, I think that's a beautiful definition of healing. When I take what I've received from the Lord Jesus Christ, the healing, the wholeness, the restoration, the strength, the encouragement, when I take that and I give it away to someone else, when I, I transfer that healing power that God gave me and I put it into Jay, that's healing. Here's the thing, guys. When someone's going through a crisis, how you respond is your judgment of that person. In fact, you look in the New Testament, when the word crisis is there, it's translated judgment. So, so your response to people in crisis is your judgment of them. And healing is when we respond, not just a little bit, not in a convenient way, but when we respond in a way that is sufficient to meet their need. Now, I'm not talking codependency where you're, no, no, no. I'm talking about God put us in a body. He created us for relationship, and you need the people in your life, and they need you. There's a beautiful story in Mark 2 when a paralyzed man is healed, and Jesus says, Take up your mount and walk. But the story behind the story is how he got in a position to be healed. Because he had some friends. 
that saw him in his condition, and they knew Jesus was coming into Capernaum, and they took their friend on this stretcher, and they carried him to the house where Jesus was. But when they got there, the house was packed. They couldn't get in, even get in the doorway. Did they give up, yes or no? Heck no. Am I allowed to say that in church? Heck no. No, no, no. Because they, they judged their friend worthy of the effort. They judged their friend worthy of the time. They judged their friend worthy of the inconvenience. Judged their friend even worthy of what other people might say about them. Because you know what they did next? They climbed up on the roof of that house with a stretcher. I mean, I'm trying to think, like, okay, we're climbing and, like, carried a man on a stretcher, climbed up on top of the roof, and dug a hole in the roof because it was like mud and that. They dug a hole through the roof, and they lowered the man into the roof. And here's what the Bible says. It says in Mark 2, since they could not go get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Don't miss this. When Jesus saw whose faith? Their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Then a few moments later, he says, you're healed, rise up and walk. Their faith is what healed the paralyzed man. Jesus, son of God. He didn't get healed because of the son of God. He got healed because of their faith. Because he had some people in his life who were willing to show up. Everybody say, I will show up for my people. There's some people in your life that need you to show up. I mean, you go through the gospel. That's what Jesus did. See, I, you, you can't like separate things, but I think sometimes just the way Jesus showed up was a bigger miracle than the tangible thing that happened. When Zacchaeus climbed up in the tree... And he felt unseen, forgotten. I'm just the short guy climbed up in the tree. Jesus saw him. He said, hey, I'm going to your house. I believe a miracle took place in Zacchaeus when he was seen. We'll talk about that over the coming weeks. When the woman was caught in the act of adultery, and everyone condemned her, shamed her, Jesus showed up. Did he condemn her? No. What did he do? He loved her just by showing up. I think about Peter when he denied Jesus three times. You guys remember the story when he denied him the third time? It says just at that moment, Jesus looked across the courtyard and he saw Peter and their eyes met. And when their eyes met, right after Peter denied him for the third time, their eyes met and the only thing Peter felt in that gaze from Jesus love. See, he needed somebody to show up in that moment when he was going to just beat the crap out of himself, beat his brains out. But Jesus showed up with love. That's how we get to bring healing to others. We get to show up. So listen, I hope you heard loud and clear today, it's okay to not be okay, and that the love of God wins for you. But I also want you to hear the second message that, listen, there's some people who need you to show up because they don't know that yet. They feel forgotten. They feel alone. I mean, just from that exercise at the beginning, there was a third of the room 
that said something significant happened when we took five minutes to look them in the eye and see them and speak life. There's power when we show up for people. And so as we go out from here today, I want you to go out with feeling a burden and responsibility. 